Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sterling's Business Success and Coffee Podcast, kindly sponsored and supported by Sterling's group coaching programs and Fix This Next. This free online business assessment tool enables you to pinpoint your business's vital need. Keep listening for top business tips and advice to help you level up and scale up. Here's your host, Simon Meadows. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another podcast episode. And today I'm joined by another guest that is the first type during this current series. And you'll see why I'm saying that in a few moments as I work through Jeff's bio. So today we're joined by Jeff Barnes. And Jeff is a former US Navy nuclear power plant operator on a submarine. Okay, so that's point number one. Never talk to anybody who's ever been on a submarine, so that will be an interesting conversation. He's a Navy diver, risk management director, technology enthusiast, business growth expert, advisor, and management consultant. He sits on the boards of startup companies, runs a venture fund, supports nonprofits supporting military veterans, and spends most of his time helping CEOs and founders of growing companies automate systemize and scale to eight and nine figure valuations welcome to today's podcast jeff great to have you with us thanks so much for having me i really really appreciate it and i i mentioned that submarine because uh, here in the uk we've got a base up in scotland uh, which is a submarine base which is very secretive but you can drive around it and sometimes see some of the things um, you know a docked there so you're my first ever one nuclear power plant operator and somebody who's been on a submarine so i'm sure we'll get to that perhaps at some point but first of all tell us a little bit of the coffee that you drink and how that changes as you work through the day that's a great question so i start my day off every single morning bright and early between 5 30 and 6 a.m with a bulletproof coffee so Inside of my coffee, um, we have MCT oil, we have butter, organic grass-fed, Kerrygold Irish butter, and uh, a little wow. bit of cacao in there for some flavor. So it gives me a nice little boost first thing in the morning when we got to get kids up and get to work bright and early. Yeah. And, and, and of course, as... you, you don't stick with that all day, do you? Because obviously, that's quite a concoction, isn't it? You change that as the it, day goes It's a full on. breakfast, I tell you. It's great. Yeah. It gives me all the calories I need first thing. Um, but no, then then around lunchtime, it'll get to tea. And I generally like my black teas, iced tea predominantly. And okay. uh, we'll, we'll change that. So right now, my, my wife got a whole bunch, a little can of pumpkin spice organic something or other black tea. So now whenever I have my ah. afternoon tea, I have a little bit of pumpkin flavor in there for the fall season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you know, I've been drinking... Uh, pumpkin spice lattes at our local starbucks you know that's a seasonal drink uh, but mm-hmm. i've never tried pumpkins in tea never never had that spice never had that pumpkin. me neither but tea. it's it's pretty delicious yeah oh well there you go that's something for us to try and um, so quite an introduction to you and and the business tell us a little bit about the evolution of you from being uh, you know an operator on a submarine an av diver uh to an advisor and management consultant. You know, how did that shift change? Tell us a little bit about that backstory. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, if you know me, know much about me, then you'll know that I'm kind of a contra- contrarian. I 
disdain authority for a lot of reasons. I, I really struggle with uh, following orders for order's sake. So you'd think, why in the world would somebody like that ever join the military? Mm. And the main reason is because when I was in high school, all I wanted to do was play baseball. But I ended up uh, traveling worldwide on an international all-star team, and I ended up blowing out my arm when I was 16 years old and ended up having to have surgery on it. And long story short, I was not going to be able to play baseball ever again. So that kind of led me down this path of, well, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, as I'm sure most people when they're you know, 17, 18 years old are kind of thinking. And all I knew was I didn't want to go into debt to go to college. And I didn't see the real value of getting a college degree. You know, I'd read plenty of books and biographies of people that have made massive successes of their lives without going to college. So I said, well, that just doesn't seem like the right fit for me. Yep. Um, and one day this guy walks into our high school and says, Hey, I got free pizza in here. If anyone wants to chat. And I came in and chatted and he was dressed in his nice uniform. And he talked to me about what it'd be like to travel the world and, um, have all the girls throwing themselves at you because you, you're dressed up in a nice Navy uniform. And I said, Hey, you know what? I'm 17. That sounds perfect. Um, so yeah. that's how I ended up joining the military. It was actually a really simple sales pitch. He said, Hey, I'll give you a little bit extra money because if you can pass this test. So I passed the test. Uh, became a nuclear operator over the course of the next few years after I graduated and uh, ended up in a situation where I was volunteered for submarines, mostly because I didn't want to be on a floating city. You know, aircraft carriers carry upwards of 5,000 people and, really? you know, it's just a giant city. What I didn't realize was they get a lot more of the benefits because, you know, everybody sees them. They have the visibility. The rest of the world knows about the U.S. Navy as far as the nuclear or the, uh, uh, the aircraft carriers. Yeah. Not very many people know about fast attack submarines, um, but there's only about 130 people on each one. So we were a, a small minority and I ended up running the uh, the machinery division, the engineering uh, department. I was in charge of quality assurance for the nuclear power and the what we call level one and subsafe programs on our boat. And I left that simply because I, it caught up to me eventually that I didn't really love the politics. I didn't love having to play the game, quote unquote, mm -hmm. right? Anybody that's had to do that knows what I'm talking about. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are at your job. If you're not, you know, kissing up to the right people at the right time, you know, you don't, you only go so far. Yeah. So I got to a point where I said, I'm, I'm done with that. I need to leave and left that still didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, so after you know, several years in the service, I decided to take a job. The first job that came along two weeks after I got out of the Navy, I'd planned on taking like three months off. I'd saved up my money. I'd been working my butt off for a long time. Sure. And uh, just two weeks later, somebody approached me with a job that one of my friends had recommended. And I took the job, hopped right on it because I worked from home. I didn't have to go into an office. I'd see my boss maybe once a month, if even that, and uh, had a lot of autonomy. And what I realized was that autonomy was sort of my uh, the staple in my life that I needed. I need that ability to do things that I wanted to do when I wanted to do them, how I wanted to do them and not have to worry about somebody barking orders at me nonstop, which is what you deal with in the military. Yeah. So that sort of started that, that process down this path of entrepreneurship and consulting and things like that. And I've been working remotely for 17 years now. I've never had to go into, I, I, I've gone into several offices, but I've never had like a home office. I have to go to on a daily basis. My commute is about 13 seconds. Uh, from upstairs to downstairs to get my coffee. Yep. So that's kind of how I've uh, structured my life. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, for many people, you know, the recent events of the pandemic have highlighted home working. But home working 
in all sorts of formats. You know, the format you've talked about there, Jeff. But you know, I remember, you know, my mum back in the day getting deliveries and packages and she would work at home. You know, home working isn't something new, is it? You know, working remotely isn't something that's been around for decades, probably centuries. Uh, yet we all seem to think it's the, the new latest thing uh, that we've got here. So it's it's really interesting that you said about taking orders and things like that because it's having that mix of home working and that must have been quite a shift from working in an organisation like the Navy where you are such a, uh, a pawn and a person of one of so many to actually working and having your own accountability and your own authority. What would you say was the biggest thing that you learned from that shift between the Navy and you know, working in this environment, working from home? What, what was the biggest shift? Well, the, the biggest shift really was I went from a place where I had, I mean, in some sense, it's kind of ironic when I was on a submarine, I worked where I lived. Right. I slept where well, I worked. Yeah, that's and, a good point. Yeah. And I <laughs> didn't think moved of that. into a place where, where, where I worked and slept where I lived as well. So, um, but what I, what I really took from that was that having the right team is really what makes everything work properly. So whether you have to, you're on a submarine and you're dealing with the guys, you literally are in the same rack. So in, in a submarine, you have three racks, they're stacked on top of each other and you have all these different birthing areas. And so you literally are seeing the same people day in, day out, every single day. Um, you can't escape them on such a small place. Yeah. What I need was a little bit more of that separation, so I need my space. But I still realized that having incredible communication with the right people in my new organization was vital to my success. And I've learned a lot about my personality. So I would say that was the biggest shift as I finally had a chance to learn what I like and what I don't like. When you're in the military, you're literally in the middle of have to do everything at a moment's notice. You have to you know, jump when the order is given. You have, if there's an emergency, you don't get a chance to just think about it and let somebody else handle it. You're taking care of it. And one of the things I realized in the military is that I like doing the work. I really enjoy being active and, and working. But a lot of it was reactionary versus finally getting a chance to sit down in an office and think and not have distractions and not have somebody barking orders and being able to turn my phone off. And, you know, I, at that point, I still had a landline. You know, I know that might be surprising for a lot of people, but I had a landline and a fax machine. Um, and so being able to turn off all the distractions and finally zone out a little bit just to think was honestly one of the biggest benefits, the biggest boon for me leaving the military. And it's something that I've really cherished ever since, because if you don't have autonomy, if you don't have a place of your own, if you don't have a way to separate yourself, especially if you work from home, uh, from your work, then you're really going to struggle. And that, that's something that I had to learn really quickly. You know, for me, it wasn't even a matter of a lot of people struggle when they're not around a team physically. Yeah. I was really good because I like working and doing the work myself. But then, of course, I need to have the communication. I need to, I need to balance that. And so I learned how to do that. That was a big shift for me. So in the, the bio uh, excerpt that I read, I mentioned that obviously you sit on the boards of startups. Uh, mm -hmm. That's quite unusual uh, for somebody such as yourself because, you know, startups are so unique in, in the entrepreneurship and the way that they're structured and the position they're at. 
what is it that you feel from your experience that you bring to startups and what is it that you like about working with startup businesses? Yeah, so over the last you know couple of decades, I've always had this desire to be my own boss and I didn't want somebody else telling me what to do, right? Like I was saying, mm. well, how do you do that if you don't really know what you want and you just eventually wound up I wound up on this path of entrepreneurship. You know, I'd read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. I'd read things like Things Can Grow Rich. I'd gone into seminars and I started learning, okay, the only way I'm going to have the life I really want is by being my own boss. And the only way I'm going to be my own boss is by starting a business. So I went down that entire path of what does it take? I've started over 20 businesses myself. I've had several epic failures. I've had several incredible successes. And I've had a number that have just kind of sustained. So... What I learned along the way was that there's a process, and I think that's the key for me, right? A lot of entrepreneurs are very, very visionary. They love to come up with a new idea. They love to come up with a shiny object. They don't just find the shiny object, they come up with a shiny object, right? And as a result, a lot of entrepreneurs actually struggle with turning that idea into a business. And what I found was that even though I have a lot of ideas, most of my ideas are how to improve on something that already exists or how to take something that is a technology, is a software, a hardware, a tool, and leverage it and use it in a better way. And that's what I did in corporate America. So I, I got to a point in the financial services sector as a risk manager, where my job was to implement technology that would bring our come from the dark ages, quote unquote, to current day. And we even did that in the military too. We had to find ways to leverage new technology and the irony is that when you're on a submarine, we did an upgrade at one point. We went from our 1960s technology to our 1980s technology in the 2000s, right? So, you know, kind of a little bit of a, yeah. a funny gotcha. way to upgrade technology. Exactly, right? Um, but in, in my new role in corporate America, my job was to find the companies and the technology and the ideas that would help our big business continue to grow, be profitable, and stay relevant. And when you do that, you're not going to the big now, behemoths out there, the Coca-Colas or the, the state farms of the world, you're not going to the companies that are 100 plus years old to say, hey, can you guys innovate? Right. They, that's not what they do. So where do you end up? You end up working with entrepreneurs. And I love technology. I've always been innovative in a certain sense. And it just made sense. But then there's this issue, right? Big companies are great at operating. They're not great at innovating. Entrepreneurs are great at innovating. They're terrible at operating. And so I became that hub in the middle. Yeah. I was the one that was able to say, okay, I, I ended up you know, going to business school. I got my degree, my, my MBA. I got my bachelor's along the way. And so I learned, and of course, because of the Navy, I had QA background. I had logistics and operational and leadership and all these other things. So I was able to kind of bring these things together and speak both sides of the language and work with the entrepreneurs and work with those big companies. So it was bringing operational processes to the entrepreneurs and is bringing innovation technology to the, the operating companies. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, as I listen to you talking, um, luckily I can see you, so I can see how young you are. Um, some people are probably listening to this thinking, wow, this guy must be a hundred years old to have done all of that in, in a lifetime, never minding a short lifetime that you've got. And that's, that is quite a steep learning curve isn't it for all that you've been through and that implementation you know obviously you've had a catalyst and we've talked a little bit about the military is there anything else that you would say has been a catalyst in 
helping you explore all of that in such a short space of time? You know, I don't know what causes me to be like this, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. um, I really have no idea what, you know, whether it's physiological, whether it's mental, I don't know, but I get bored with things really, really easily. Okay. And it's not ADD, right? I want, so anybody out there that's listening, that's saying, oh, well, he must have ADD, ADHD. No, I don't have that. No. Um, I'm perfectly capable of sitting down and focusing for very long periods of time and working on something. I'm also very capable of doing the boring stuff over and over again, if that's what it takes, right? So what it is, is more a matter of once I've learned something and I've ingested it and I've made it part of my either daily ritual or my abilities, then the next thing that I want to do is I want to take that and teach somebody else so that they can do the job. So I don't have mm. to keep doing it because I want to learn the next thing. And that was something that's, it's really hard for me to wrap my head around that most people are not like that. Um, when I started absolutely. down my entrepreneurial journey, yeah, not at all. Right. And so when I started my entrepreneurial journey, I actually had a lot of people asking me for coaching. And so I started coaching people uh, 15 years ago or so in a lot of different areas. I have done a lot with marketing and finance and investing and obviously operations and operating procedures. I've written a book on how the military develops operating procedures and how you can use that in business. So I, I was coaching a lot of people and I just had this thought that everybody wanted to be an entrepreneur. Everybody wanted to be a business owner. And not only that, but everybody wants to grow a big business. Right. Why wouldn't you want to grow? If you're going to start one, why not grow big? Right. And so you got to do this and this and this. Like there's a million things. And what I found out is that first off, 90 plus percent of the population has no desire to be a business owner, entrepreneur at all. No. Right. And you might take a poll. Right. And depending on where you are in the world and who you surround yourself with, you might take a poll and everybody says, I want financial freedom and I want to be my own boss and I want to be in charge and I want to run my own thing. Most people will actually say that at some point. Correct. However, they don't really mean it, right? They don't mean it. Yeah, yeah. What they want is the outcome. They don't want to do the work. And yeah. that's the problem that a lot of people face. And so, you know, I, I'm sure you're coaching folks and you're probably seeing this regularly. It's like you can't get where you want to go without putting in the work. There's no easy button to success. No. And for me, I realized that early enough on, I think it was... Um, growing up, wanting to be great at sports, I knew I had to put in the work. Uh, when I was in the military, I wanted to be the best in my class all the time. So I would get those promotions, which, you know, it's not really how it works. I found that out later. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to be a scuba diver. I knew I had to put in the work because no one's just going to give it to me. And so I carried that mentality throughout my life. And I think that's how it's led to doing all these things, writing a couple yeah. books, starting a bunch of businesses, raising a bunch of money, all that stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting because like you, you know, when I set up my first business back in the 90s, um, I signed up uh, with a coach and I've had a coach ever since. And I give a lot of my success credit to, to the coaches that I've had, which is why I became a coach. But like you, uh, I realized my cycle of interest and boredom was about 18 months. If I'm not doing something different, it doesn't have to be hugely different, but if I'm not varying what I'm doing every 18 months, then I start to inwardly die and vegetate. So I need to keep reinventing and keep keep moving, isn't it? Yeah, and that's that's the thing, isn't it? And uh, yeah, we're 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 very similar in in that. You you mentioned also in your bio, and I just want to touch on one thing before we find out more uh, about about you and how people can connect with you. You said 
in your bio about growing companies, uh, helping them automate, systemize, and scale to an eight to nine figure valuation. Now, a lot of businesses and a lot of entrepreneurs perhaps listening to this think about the valuation of their business way too far down the line. You know, it's almost at the point where they have to exit or want to exit that they start to think about that. And I'm sharing this because when I had my construction business, I built the business to sell from the get-go. And when the banking crisis came, I went from a business that was doing really, really well to a business that I decided to sell and sold it within weeks, months, you know, at, at a maximum, because it was ready to sell. I built it to sell. And what would you say are some of the ingredients that you see in the businesses you work with in getting those valuations where they need to be and getting that mindset of, building a business where it has that value? Yeah, this is, it, it's a great question. And what I find with a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners is that there's this dichotomy um, when it comes to that. A lot of entrepreneurs have massively inflated egos, right? Mm -hmm. And these massively inflated egos are generally what led them into the, the spotlight in the first place to be an entrepreneur. Well, a lot of the times that also means they want to be in charge. And I found myself, unfortunately, I found this myself in this situation too many times myself. And so I was able to sort of diagnose it. It's every business needs standard operating procedures. They need a way for somebody to make a payment and then get the service or the product. And there's all the operational things that need to happen. Everybody knows that, right? I, I don't think that it's anything new. If you go read the E-Myth, if you go read... Um, built to sell. If you go read any of these books, you go read um, Traction by Gina Wickman and um, learn about the entrepreneur operating system. It's all there. And I don't think I'd be saying anything new if I told people about that. But here's the big difference. The thing that I've noticed that successful business owners and businesses take into account when they go and they say, I want to sell and they want to exit versus the ones that seem to just get stuck or never get the valuation they want is that the, the CEO, the founder, the owner, the entrepreneur doesn't make it about themselves. They make it about the mm -hmm. customers. And if they make it about the customers, then what they're going to do is everything they can do to make sure their customers are satisfied, which means they may not be the per best person to speak with a customer, to sell the customer, to service the customer, to do anything. And if they do that, if they do this properly, what they do is they find their zone of genius. And when they find their zone of genius, they let everything else fall by the wayside and go to other people. They delegate, they, yeah. I, I wouldn't say they abdicate responsibility, but they delegate and they allow other people to do that. However, the next really, really important part is holding other people accountable. And this is challenging, right? Going back to that, most people don't want to be the business owner. They don't want to be, the, they don't have the same vision. What do they want to do? They go up, they want to clock in, they want to get paid, and they want to clock out. Right. That's yeah. it. That's all most people really, really want to do. Sure. Like if we actually got down to the human psychology. And so as a result, the entrepreneurs who succeed, yes, they start with the end in mind. Right. They use Stephen Covey's um, habits. They they talk, yeah. they read Jim Collins. They, they talk about built to last and all of these things, but they don't make it about themselves. They make it about the customer and then they find their zone of genius and they fill the rest of those seats on the bus with the people who are going to share in this desire to service the customer. So it comes down to team, it comes down to figuring out what you are good at and not doing everything else and not making the business about you. Yeah, 
Um, I have a, a great uh, person who does my show notes for me for these podcasts, Anna. And I always say to her, pick out the books that get mentioned. You have just given her the hardest job of any podcast we've had so far. My mentioning some of my favourite books and so many of them. So Anna, I apologise for that, but we'll make sure all the names of those books are included in there. And Jim Collins as well. You know, built to last. A great, yeah. great by choice is one of my my favourite yeah. ones of his as well. So uh, yeah, sorry Anna. There's another one just to give you another one to go in there. There you go. Um, yeah. All of them. Yeah, but you you are you are so so right on that. You know, making it about the customer and not about themselves. And I don't know about you, Jeff, but I see so many business owners, and there might be somebody listening to this right now uh, who is thinking about exiting their business in any kind of way. And usually, it's them that get in the way. And I've seen so many of them go all the way right to the wire, and then because of their ego, and I've done it myself. I turned down a, a huge multi-million pound deal here in the UK four, four years before the banking crisis. And I tell you, if two years later, I'd have chopped their hand off to get the same deal. Um, but, you know, it's, it's us that gets in the way, isn't it? It's those entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. it's those egos that get in the way uh, of most you know, business exits and most business succession. Is that something you find as, as well, in, particularly in the tech sort of businesses, perhaps, that you work with? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, so uh, if anybody's watched Dragons Den or Shark Tank, then they'll know what my job is a lot of the time. My job is being Mark Cuban for companies that aren't ready for Shark Tank or that would never go on Shark Tank like or Dragons Den. Because all of those companies, for the most part, those are B2C consumer focused businesses where somebody can go and buy the product after they've invested in the company, right? Yeah. What I work with is tech companies. I work with AI companies, IoT um, CPG, SaaS companies, all, all types that you'd never see on Dragon's Den or Shark Tank because they're not sexy. They're not fun mm-hmm. for somebody to sit and watch a, a TV show about it, right? So what I find when we consult with these companies to get them ready to raise capital or even potentially getting ready to exit, some of these companies are already operating and they want to exit, is that they the entrepreneur values their personal involvement in the business to date way higher than anybody else will because really the investor doesn't care that the person who's buying the business doesn't care how much time you put into your business that we don't care how much blood sweat and tears how many nights you stayed up awake worrying Hmm. about making payroll and eventually you figured out no one cares about that that's all in the past that's on you yeah and so what do we really care about we care about what's the return on investment is there a way for me to help this company grow? Is there a potential for me to make money at the next exit? Right? Yeah. And as an investor, that's what they're, they're looking at. But the entrepreneur is saying, well, yeah, but it took me 10 years to get here. I know that you're only seeing profits for the last two years. But and just because we're only profitable, like you have no idea how much time it took me to get to that. You have no idea how much. Work. And so we put this on ourselves to say, hey, I need to make a lot more money out of it. Right? And the way that I try to explain to this to entrepreneurs is imagine you are the business owner and you've been running a business and you have somebody that's worked for you for 10 years. And in the course of those 10 years, they haven't done anything to really improve their value to you. But every single year they keep coming back and asking for a raise and they want more money. You know, okay, great. That's great. But you know, have you done any more training? Do you provide any more skills? Do you do any? No, I just do the same job year after year. Right. Yep. People that are investing in a business and, buying a business are not 
really caring about all that other stuff. All they care about is what's in front of them right now. And so for you to ask for more money is kind of like the guy asking for a raise that's not really doing anything more because sure. all the stuff you did doesn't yeah. relate to tangible results. So that's yeah. that's yeah. the big issue that a lot of people see. Yeah, great example. Love that. So tell us a little bit more about how we can reach out to you, Jeff. You know, you've mentioned a book, uh, you've mentioned various things we've been going through, but what would you like the listener today to be able to do to contact you and reach out to you? Yeah, so I have uh, two main businesses that I run. I have a marketing agency, Digital Evolution Marketing Group, um, and uh, we help venture-backed startups scale and companies that are looking to exit, we help them scale. But then Angel Investors Network is probably the best place for people to go because you can get to everything from there. And with Angel Investors Network, we find private off-market off opportunities for people to invest in and we acquire businesses and we invest together. And then once we invest in those companies, we help structure them for the next exit. So yeah. uh, angelinvestorsnetwork.com is probably the best place for people to go. Perfect, perfect. Well, we know where to go and we'll make sure the link for that is in the show notes uh, as well. Just want to ask one question before I ask you to give the listeners a tip that they can take away. Uh, you mentioned angel investors uh, and globally, I see a lot of commonality in markets and investors at the moment. Um, how are you seeing it? You know, Are you seeing it pretty flat at the moment? Are you seeing people seeking for opportunities? You know, What's the, the, your sort of take on the, the angel investor sector at the moment? It really depends, right? It's, it's very market specific. It's you know, geographic specific. I will say we've seen a pullback in investing in general, mm -hmm. but there's also this other side that's sort of the, the hidden truth that's right in front of our eyes, which is inflation has gone up dramatically in a lot of parts of the world and it's still not being fully reported on, but people are seeing it. And so people are starting to see that everything's costing more and the people who are you know, really well off already, they're not really worrying so much about that. But some of them are looking at it and say, okay, well, I definitely need to bolster my portfolio. If this is going to continue, I need to be ready in 10, 15, 20 years or whatever. Yeah. I want to have a bigger, a bigger uh, nest egg to sit on. So what we will say is that the, the risk factors that entrepreneurs need to take into account now might have shifted a little bit because we need to be cognizant when you're raising money, you need to be a little bit more cognizant about the fact that We've watched all of these scandals. We've watched the FTX scandal, the Silicon Valley bank scandal. We've watched the markets crash. We've watched yeah. mortgage rates here in the US going through the roof. And so we have to be really cognizant about the minds of the investor when they're about to make an investment decision because they see all of these other risks and these really scary things that have happened that cause a lot of really wealthy people to lose a lot of money and they don't want to be that, right? But on the other hand, they also know that they need to make a little bit more than what they've been making in the stock marketing and not seeing great returns there. Yeah. So whenever we're talking about investing, we have to just kind of keep that in mind. Uh, but as far as entrepreneurs raising capital, there's still plenty of businesses that are raising significant sums. We're going to see IPOs, I think, take a dive a little bit because there's not as much need to go for an IPO anymore. That's more of an ego play, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, um, yeah. And companies are being able to get some significant amounts of funding once they get to a certain point. Um, that certain point that we're finding that most entrepreneurs or most companies get a lot of money is if you're getting to a million dollar ARR and 300% year over year growth. Once you hit those metrics, man, uh, you know, VCs yeah. will come running after you. Yeah. And, and I, I echo what you said there, whether you're in the US, whether you're in Europe, the UK, 
Asia. You know, I think that's everything you've said there is is pretty common as well. So yeah, good good lessons there. So if you if you were to give the the listener one tip, one lesson to take away that they can do something with, as I always say, in the next few days, next week ahead, what would you say to the listener, and what would you want to share with them? I would say find out how to do less and get more done. And if you wear that cap on a regular basis, you'll start figuring out that you're probably doing too much work that you shouldn't be doing. And if you can do less of the work, but you can get more stuff done, that means you're using levers that will help you accomplish your goals faster. Great. Yeah, perfect. Uh, And I've been scribbling on my post-it note trying to find the title, and there you've given me something right there. So I can see... A couple of images in the background there behind you uh, and usually I ask you know where's your next coffee going to be and if you're going to have that coffee uh, who would it be with um, so I'm going to change it slightly there because you know I can see you've got uh, looks like a baseball photo image there of somebody mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a red jersey tell us who yep. that is and is that is that is that you is that somebody you would like to spend some time with just give us a bit of an idea of of something about that and uh, why why those images and what's behind you is so special yeah those are pictures of my boys so i have two boys bryce and brody and i coach little league so um those are their little league photos from uh last year and uh, we had a rough go of it last year but we're looking forward to baseball starting up again i know it just ended uh at the time of this recording anyway but you know, we're going to start baseball up here in just a few more months and get back at it. So, yep, yeah. those are my guys. So so if you could take the, the guys of your little league somewhere special for a bit of a treat because they've done really well, where would you take them? Yeah, so we have this little coffee shop here in town called Lamp Roasters. Um, and, it, you know, it's just a, a really cute little coffee shop. And they have incredible food and they have all the different variations that you can't get at the big chains like Starbucks and such. So we go there and I generally get something like, you know, really a decadent chocolate cake or something like that in my espresso <laughs> nice. and, and they, they get their, their hot cocoa. Yeah. And the parents thank you for the sugar intake later on when you take them back home. So yep. final, final part of the last question then. So you're in this coffee shop, you've got your little league guys. If you were to have one of your heroes there that could talk to you, but perhaps also share some insights with, with these guys as well about life, who would that hero be? Oh man, that's such a such a hard question to answer, right? Because um, you know, I have I have lots of them that, but I would say, you know, if I were to go back, I'd look at guys like Oral Hershiser, uh, was actually a famous pitcher when I was a kid on the the Dodgers, and he's the one that inspired me to want to play baseball, okay. and he had just an incredible career, and I know that he's done some some pretty cool things after that. So I'd say Oral Hershiser would be one of those guys that just really be fun to have a drink with and, and hang out. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I've tried several times, Jeff, when I've been to the States and when I've been to Canada to, to actually see a baseball game. So I'm, I'm an ice hockey guy, uh, so I, I love all things uh, ice hockey. Uh, but I've always wanted to see uh, a baseball game. So, uh, yeah, hopefully next time I get over to the States, I'll get an opportunity to do that because I've never had the opportunity, never seen it. So I'd, I'd love to give that a good go. So, uh, yeah, I'll check that guy out as well. well Thank you. Thank you for being such a great guest. Thank you for sharing so much and so many insights. Uh, just give us the name of that website again that we want the, the listeners to go to, Angel. AngelInvestorsNetwork.com. So Angel Investors Network, all one word, 
com. All one word. Yep. Perfect. Uh, thank Perfect. you. You've been an amazing guest. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Simon. I really appreciate it. And listeners, all you need to do now is go and check out that link. Go and find out what Jeff also uh, has to offer. He's giving us so much in this episode. Uh, find out some of the backstory, connect with him, reach out to him. And of course, leave us a review. Tell us what difference this has made to you and subscribe so you get to know when the next episodes are coming out as well. And as always, I look forward to having you on the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like any help and support with your business, do get in touch with Simon. And to discover what your business needs you to fix next, visit www.sterlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com. Please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And Simon would love you to rate and review the show too. Thank you.